Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, October the 26th, 2022. It is currently 1224 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, sometimes I start something. Typically, I regret what I have started. Oh, late last night, I got this idea because of a news article. Hey, let's review this sermon. It will be wonderful. It will be beneficial. And I, but then, but then I wake up today and I'm like, do I really want to continue that? Is it really going to be helpful? But hopefully it will. We will see, but we will, we will continue and conclude the review that we started last night. And, and all I was thinking is, I know how everyone's going to approach this story. Let's approach it in a different way. Let's actually review the sermon. And I will explain all of that in just a second. But speaking of being helpful, if you would like to help us here at the Theology Central podcast, I definitely would like for you to do the following. If you want to help us, if you use the Apple Podcast app, or if you possibly have access to the Apple Podcast app, would you mind looking up the Theology Central podcast and giving us a five-star rating and writing a nice review? We would really appreciate that. And here's the reason why. Our rating on the Apple Podcast app has now dropped to 3.5 stars. We were at five stars. Then we, then we went to like 4.5. Then we went to four. Then we went to 3.5. At this rate, we're going to be the lowest rated theology podcast in the history of theology podcasts. That is very discouraging. I, I, yesterday I was using the Apple podcast app and I was listening to different podcasts. I'm like, well, I'll just check and see that ours, ours is working correctly, that everything is good to go. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We're down to 3.5. What What is happening? So if you use the Apple Podcast app, or even if you just have access to it, Apple Podcast, go give us, look up Theology Central, give us five stars and write a positive review. Now, please don't give us five stars or write a positive review if you don't like us, okay? I'm not asking you to lie. But if you do appreciate what we try to do here, which is probably, I guess, we tick off everyone, <laughs> What's your goal for a theology podcast? Well, I want to tick off everyone. I don't want one side. I don't want one team. I don't want one tribe to like what we do. I guess that if that's your goal, I have succeeded. If that is my goal, I've succeeded. But reality, I don't really want to tick off everyone. I just want to challenge everyone to think and not necessarily be identified by a team or a tribe other than someone who sits behind a microphone who's clearly a sinner but tries my best to pursue truth with or without offense to friend or foe. It sounds noble, right? But sometimes it can be discouraging when you uh, you just tick off everyone. So if you would like to do that, and if you can do that, that would be greatly helpful and beneficial. I would like to get us to at least a four, right? I mean, come on. I, I can understand that we're not a five, but come on. It, we should get a four just, con- just based on how much content we produce, right? 
when you produce as much content as we do, you've got to give us a four just for effort, right? Hey, you get four stars for effort. You're garbage, but you put out so much garbage that we have to at least give you. Okay, all right, never mind. But are you ready? Uh, someone says, okay, someone said, glad, uh, in the chat, uh, glad you're continuing this one. The sermon I was listening to was a train wreck. Okay, so they, I, I hope that this proves to be beneficial. So let me explain. All right, here's, here's how it all started. Last night, I was doing like a number of things. I was watching things on television, like multiple things. I was flipping, going from this to this to this to this to this, hockey, basketball, all these different things, okay? Of course, wrestling, all right? And then I was trying to listen to a little bit of music, and I, w- I was trying to keep up with so many things, and then I see a notification on my iPad, Saddleback Church. And I'm like, oh, Saddleback. That used to be Rick Warren's church. It's been taken over by Andy Wood, okay? He's now the new pastor, all right? Saddleback Church used to be one of the most influential churches in the United States of America. I've, I tried to, we reviewed Rick Warren's last sermon. So we've been kind of following the transition because I've been curious, what is, is Saddleback going to maintain its influence on churches all across the United States of America? Is it going to kind of just slide down into the levels of irrelevancy? Or, or What's going to happen to them? I, I've been curious to watch. So I see Saddleback Church, and I'm like, oh, what's going on? Here was the headline. Saddleback Church leader's wife, Stacy Wood, serving as teaching pastor despite SBC doctrine or despite Southern Baptist Convention doctrine. Remember, Saddleback is a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's linked together. Well, they've ordained women. Now they have a female teaching pastor, but the Southern Baptist Convention seems to be like, well, we're investigating it. We'll get to that in, I don't know, the year three, I don't know, 3,025, I don't know what they're waiting for, because it seems clear that Saddleback Church does not accept the Southern Baptist Church, the Southern Baptist Convention doctrine on women pastors. Clearly, they, they don't accept it, they reject it, and clearly, they're rebelling against it. Now, I don't know why Saddleback would just say, hey, like, we're not Southern Baptists, we, go, we, we don't agree with your doctrine on women pastors, we're leaving. Just do that. And I don't know why the Southern Baptist Convention can't just say, hey, guys, it's just a five-minute phone call. Do you accept what we teach and our doctrinal statement about women pastors? No. Okay. Well, we're going to vote to have you removed. Cool? Like, it should be simple. It should be quick. It should be straight. It should be over in five minutes. It doesn't have to be controversial. It doesn't have to be all over the news. It's just like, we agreed to part ways. Right, I mean, it doesn't really matter in the and in, in, in the thing, but the fact is that that Saddleback continues to do what supposedly the Southern Baptists are opposed to, and now they have a teaching pastor, Stacy Wood, who's obviously a woman. All right, so I know most of the podcast, and I knew most of the podcast would talk about ooh, the, the she's a woman pastor, Southern Baptist doctrine, and kind of get into that controversy. Um. Are there dues to belong to the Southern Baptist Convention? I, I think you're supposed to contribute to some of their uh, like missions programs. There, there's some money involved, if I remember correctly, but I don't know how demanding it is. I, I so we have a listener who's Southern Baptist who can probably fill us in. I'll have to uh, I'll have to ask him, and he can explain it uh, to us uh, at a later time. I'm not Southern Baptist, so I can't say for sure. So I don't want to be dogmatic, but. 
I knew that most of the podcast would look into that, like just look into that and then argue about women pastors. Can they, can they not? Here's the biblical argument for, here's the biblical arguments people put forth against. And just, just, I know that that's where everyone's going to go. I'm like, well, let's not do that. Let's do this. Let's grab the sermon that Stacy Wood, teaching pastor from Saddleback Church, preached, and let's just review the sermon, right? Let's just review the sermon on how accurate it is to the biblical text, how well does she preach the biblical text. Let's just judge the sermon based off the merit of the sermon itself. I won't even worry whether she's female or male. Let's just listen to the sermon. And my hope was, even though I disagree with a woman being a pastor, that at least I could say, wow, she handled that text, preached that text, expounded that text, and that's awesome that the Word of God was handled in such a correct way. We're 27 minutes basically into the sermon, and it's I, this is one of those sermons I can't say, wow, that was heretical. It's one of those that's just kind of just frustrating, and frustrating for this reason. On one hand, she puts forth the thesis that basically courage is the answer to the Christian life. See, if you, that if you're going to be pure, sexually pure, right, you have to have courage. If you're going to do this or do that. So the missing element in the lives of Christians, and the reason I guess they sin, is because they lack courage. If you had courage, you would be pure. If you had courage, you would do this. If you had courage, you would follow God's will. So the, the missing ingredient in the life of believers is courage. That's an interesting approach. I, I don't know if it's a lack of courage that leads people to sin. I, 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 don't, I don't really, I don't know if I agree with her thesis, but okay. But then she turns around and says, hey, but God gives you courage. Well, if God gives you courage, then how can courage be a missing ingredient in the life of believers if God gives you the courage? She never bothers to explain that apparent contradiction. Then she turns around and seems to imply, even though God gives you courage, it seems that you have to do certain things in order to then get that courage. So God gives it, but you have to do certain things in order to get it. And if you don't get it, then that's the missing ingredient. And that explains why you sin or you're not spiritually pure or, or you're not uh, pure sexually or whatever the case may be. So it's like, wait, so does God give it or do I get it? And even if I get it, she didn't really articulate exactly how I'm supposed to get it. So all of that was a little confusing. Then her, the text is Joshua chapter 4. And she seems to describe Joshua chapter 4. Of course, she does what most pastors do. So in this case, she's not doing anything different. She takes the story of Joshua chapter 4 and makes it all about us and forgets about the people it was originally about. And it's the whole idea that, hey, that, you know, God is not going to part the river until you step into it. Well, a couple of problems with that. The text doesn't say that all the people stepped into it. The priest stepped into it. Then the people passed through on dry ground. She also tried to explain that there's two million people there and that she made it sound like they were all two million people were watching what was happening and they were like, oh no, oh no, they're going to step into the Jordan and they're going to drown and they're going to die and this is the end because she she describes the scene that this was a crisis moment, right? Like, like if if the Jordan doesn't part, everything is lost. And, and I keep thinking, well, wait a minute, who, what, what was the great danger if the Jordan didn't part? Like I, she she really, it, to me, exaggerated what the text actually gives us. She kept telling us that the Jordan was at flood stage. She never gave us a text that actually demonstrated that it was. 
she did say that there was another way around so they didn't actually have to cross the Jordan. So then I don't know why they were at such a crisis moment, because if the Jordan didn't part, they just go down, I think, to the south and they, they can just cross over. So I she she seemed to completely forget that possibly the reason God was doing this entire thing was just to remind Israel, I made a covenant with you and I keep my promise. And just as I re, re, delivered your forefathers by parting the water so they could cross, I'm going to demonstrate a similar miracle by parting water so you can cross, not as dramatic as parting the Red Sea and drowning the army of Egypt, but in a smaller way, just to show you that I'm with you and I keep my covenant. But she turns it into like, no, this is some kind of, I don't know. It's that, that we're all supposed to step into the Jordan and water, but that's not what happened. Just the priest did. So that's kind of where we stopped. We're, we're going back to 27 minutes and 42 seconds. Supposedly, we have 53 minutes left. There's just no way that's accurate. And remember, I don't review these first because I like to review these in real time. I'm hoping that it's just a couple of more minutes left because I don't know what else she can say about the text. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little concerned here, but we are going to jump in. Pun intended. We're going to jump into the Jordan, right? And then the water's going to part. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, man. The, the things preachers do with Old Testament text, it's just like, it's always about us and it's always a story about us. And it's just, even though when, when there's nothing in the text that indicates that's how we're supposed to take it. But all right. Are you ready? There you go. I've got you caught, caught up. All right. 13 minutes of review. I'm sorry, but we had to get everyone caught up. All right. Here we go. Stacy Wood teaching pastor, Saddleback Church. Everyone wants to argue today about woman, that she's a female, Southern Baptist doctrine. I disagree with obviously being a female teaching pastor, but I thought it would be more interesting instead of having that fight, just say, okay, you're the teaching pastor. I'm just going to, I'm just going to critique your handling of the text and how you preach it. I'm not going to focus on anything else. So I'm hoping that before this is over, She's going, it's going to end and I'm going to be like, wow, that was awesome. That was great. My, my fear is that's not going to happen, but it would be good to say, you know, I don't know if you should be the teaching pastor of a church, but wow, you did handle the word of God correctly in a God honoring way. And that we're thankful for, right? Wouldn't that be great to say, but we'll see. We'll see how this is going to end. Here we go back to Saddleback this month. Stacy Wood, teaching pastor, that's how she's labeled, of a Southern Baptist, well, convention church, even though the Southern Baptists say you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, they've got some things to work out there. But for us, we just want to hear how the Word of God is being preached. The text is Joshua chapter 4. Let's begin. But God intentionally brought them to this place where their back was against the wall, where no amount of strategy or good leadership could have gotten them over this river. There was, a, there was a place in time where only God could have come through for them and he brought them to that point because you know why? He knew what was waiting for them on the other side of the Jordan. He so in her mind, he, he, she's already said earlier in the sermon that he brought them to a crisis point, a crisis point. Now, she is going to make somewhat of a, a good point here that, that he knew, God in a sense knew, what they were going to face on the other side. So he's doing this miracle to give them some kind of assurance. But I think what he's trying to show them is that I still remember my covenant with you. 
But all right. Okay. I just, she just creates this like, man, the crossing the Jordan. If it, I mean, she just makes it sound like the most dramatic thing in the history of mankind. And it's like, I don't know if this compares to the parting of the Red Sea, but okay. With an army chasing you that wants to kill you. But she's trying to make it almost seem that dramatic, but okay. Let, let's see where she goes. Knew that they were going to face obstacles and enemies and insurmountable odds. And they needed to have something that they could point back to and say, my God came through for me then. And he is able to come through for me now. His, his, their history with the faithfulness of God, it built up their faith. And what I want you to notice, though, is how the people got across the Jordan River. There's only one little word that tells us how they got across. You have to fast forward to the next chapter. Chapter four, it says, Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. And it says the people hurried over. Those, the priests were standing firm. Everybody else was running and, and you know what? That makes sense to me right here. Hurrying over makes a lot of sense to me. Maybe you are a, a, a kid in the room or a student, or maybe you're a parent. You've been to a water park recently. And, and you guys know at the, those water parks at the top of the play structure, they have these huge buckets. You know what I'm talking about? They fill up with water. And then in a moment, at any unsuspecting person below is going to get all the contents from that bucket dumped on their heads. Those things freak me out. So let me just be real clear. I will always run, not walk when I am near one of those things, because I am not even trying to get my feet swept right out from under me by getting pounded in the face with a thousand gallons of water. It makes sense to me that they would run. Okay. So She's saying that they, they, they ran. All right, I'm trying to find the verse. I don't, I don't know what translation she's using. All right, um, I'm going to look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 4. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers uh, in time to come saying, what, what mean ye by these stones? Then you'll answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Uh, verse, see, verse 10, Joshua 4.10, uh, For the priest which bare the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua and the people hasted and passed over. Okay, there it is. Joshua 4.10. The people hasted and passed over. All right. People, okay. She's making a big deal that they ran across. They ran across. I guess that's the, the way she's describing it. All right, I'll, I'll, we'll just see how this plays out. Uh, I, 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 mm. okay, 
We'll just, we'll just see. We'll just see. Because you could make an argument. You could make an argument. Well, this sermon is supposed to be about courage, right? It's about courage. Did them running across demonstrate a lack of courage? I mean, the, her point of the sermon is about courage. We need courage. We need courage. And it takes courage to step into the water. Well, they didn't actually step into the water. They stepped on dry land. And then they ran, according to her. Well, if they ran, was that, is that a lack of faith, a lack of courage? I, I'm trying to see how this fits into her, her, her thesis for her sermon. We need courage. Is, is that courage? You can draw your own conclusion. Because they're thinking to themselves, you know what? The ground is dry right now, but I know that that water is being held up somewhere. And I do not plan on being in this riverbed when it comes back. So let's move it, people, get, a sh- get the show on the road. But do you know what happens? So is that courage? I mean, remember your whole sermon is we have to have courage. Is that courage? Come on, guys. We got to get this show on the road. We, we've got to move it. We got to move it. We got to hurry, 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 hurry. Go, 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 go. The waters are coming. The waters are coming. I don't want to be here. We'll die. Is that, is that, is that the image? When we hurry, we tend to miss the significance of the moment. We tend to miss what God is doing Okay, wait a minute. So now it goes from them to us. They hurried, and the problem is we hurry, and we miss what God is doing. Did they miss what God was doing, considering they stopped to carry over 12 stones so there would be a perpetual memorial of what happened? Like, where are you getting this in the text? They ran, and now from that running, now that jumps to us, that we run, and then we miss what God is doing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What does that get to do? Preachers do bizarre things to the text. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to follow this. Uh, we're, uh, all right, we'll continue. I am going to, while, while this is playing, I'm going to look up uh, Joshua 4.10 and like every English translation to see how they deal with this idea of hasted or how they deal with it. All right, here we go. In this moment when we just rush by, you could be living in a miracle and completely miss it because you are living at such a rapid pace. You're just, you're just hurrying through life. And that's not the way that God wants us to live. There's a verse in the Bible that, that says, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. Okay, so to be fair, all the English translations, for the most part, say the people hurried over, the people hurried across the riverbed, the people uh, passed over in haste, the people hurried across. So all of them do uh, focus on this, that they ran across, that they were in a hurry. Uh, Let's see here. Okay. I was going to see if any of the commentaries had anything to do with what they tried to do with this. Uh, okay, the the people hasted and passed over. Some understand this of the 12 men that carried the stones, but it seems rather to mean meant of the body of the people, for though uh, mention was made of their passing over. It is here repeated for the sake of this circumstance to be added that they passed in haste. This, it is probable, they did either because Joshua by the officers ordered them to make haste that they might complete their passage before the night came on, 
or because the sight of the waters suspended on their right struck them with terror through the weakness of their faith. So if it, so this, so th- this commentary goes like, like maybe they had to haste over because they were scared. That, this go, your sermon was, this is about courage. This would be an example of a lack of courage. Or they were told, hey, hurry across so we can, there's 2 million people supposedly, according to her, that has to cross. You're going to have to hurry. You don't have time to stroll around if you're going to be done by nighttime. Now, did they need to be done by nighttime? I, 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 I don't know. You can, you can draw all kinds of, it just seems there's a lot of speculation on why they ran across. But she's saying they ran across. Now, hey, guys, here's what happens to us. We run across and we miss God's miracles. But they're not going to miss God's miracle because they're going to set up a memorial to remember it. Right? Or am I missing something? So I don't know how this really fits the thesis of her sermon. Her thesis of her sermon, you have to have courage. They ran across and they missed a miracle. Well, why did they run across? If it was a lack of faith, then that's a lack of courage. And if it's a lack of courage, then this would be an example of what not to do. You're using this story as a being about courage. And if they were just commanded to do so, so that they would get across before night, why were they in a hurry to get across because of night? Was that a lack of courage? Was that a lack of faith? Like, explain, I mean, if you're going to make the thesis of your sermon one thing, you can't go to the text. And how did you jump from they ran over to now this is about me running too quickly and missing God's miracles and a, and a text where they literally take 12 stones so they can remember the miracle. I, 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 wow, wow, wow. Trying to follow preaching sometimes. All right, here we go. I just wonder how often are we living our day-to-day lives and God is in this place and we're not even aware of it because we are just hurrying through our lives. Did you know that the practice of slowing down can actually be a spiritual practice? Okay, so is the sermon about courage or is the sermon about slowing down? It's really interesting because we're reviewing this separated by like not not quite 24 hours, what, 12 hours, whatever it's been. Uh, We're separated from a period of time, but there's a separation. If we go back and you listen to the first part, part one, you think it's a sermon about courage. But if we start the sermon right here, you think it's a sermon about slowing down. So is this a sermon about courage or it's a sermon about slowing down? I, I don't know. I, 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 okay. Well, now we're just going to say that this is a sermon about slowing down. She's abandoned. She didn't, she didn't do very well with the courage idea, right? Because even the text itself wouldn't even call into question the absence of courage. And she clearly can't use this text to tell us how to get courage. So I don't know what, I don't know what happened to the courage idea. Now it's slowing down. Or is she going to somehow bring the courage back that it takes courage to slow down? I, I, I don't know where, trying to follow this. I'm trying, I'm trying to be fair with this. I am. And see, to me, the issue here, everyone wants to, well, argue and yell and scream about women being pastors, not being pastors. I just want to judge this sermon based on the truthful, the, how, how faithful it is to the text. And right now, I don't even know she's being faithful to her own thesis. 
<laughs> that's that's what I'm trying to follow. But let's continue. And just remember, you're like, so what's the big deal? She just happens to be a teaching pastor and what, it, well, has been one of the most influential churches in the world. Sometimes it makes me question what in the world I'm doing. I guarantee you, if I go to Apple Podcast and look at the podcast for this church, it's going to have a far better rating than 3.5 stars. So why is it so many Christians want this kind of preaching, love this kind of preaching, like this kind of preaching, and will support this kind of preaching with their time, their effort, their money, and their attendance? And why so many other churches that don't preach that way are small, insignificant, not influential, can't get the support? Like what? I want what? I mean, I, I think that's a reasonable question because sometimes I listen to this preaching. Oh, what is it about this that so many people love? I mean, what what is about this? It's not helping you understand the text. It's it's doing some crazy things with the text. What what is it about this that everyone likes so much? I I don't know. So look, sometimes I can hear bad preaching and I can like, man, I know why people would like that. That was look. From a textual point, it may be bad, but man, that was a great sermon as far as it was It was awesome the way it was spoken. It was dramatic. It was all, it, it checks all the boxes. I don't know what box this checks. But okay, let's continue. Because sometimes God wants us to work, but sometimes he wants us to wait. And sometimes he says, let's go. And sometimes he says, you need to slow. You know, courage is built up in those quiet moments. Oh, that's how we get back to courage. That's how we get back to courage. Now, I, I got to try to follow this. Okay, now she's already said that God gives us courage. So God gives us, but it, it's built up in the quiet moments. So we have to slow down and be quiet in order to get courage. So then why were they running? So what they were doing here was the opposite of courage. So you're going to Joshua 4 to show us how not to have courage is run across the Jordan. If you run across the Jordan, you will not have courage. What they should have done is slowed way down and just strolled through the parted waters. They should have just walked over and put their hand in the water. They should have sat down and had lunch. Then, then they would have had more courage to go into the promised land. Is that, is that what I'm trying to understand from this text? Okay, so at least we got the courage back. At least we got the courage back. So now slow down and courage. The key to courage is slowing down. We slow down, we get courage. That seems to be now the, the how this is all coming together. That's where we find courage. That's where we slow down long enough to realize the faithfulness of God, to see the reasons why we can have courage. You know, this message this weekend is for me. Let me tell you why. The last couple months, few months since we moved here, I feel like our lives have been moving at mock speed. And it's partly because we're, we're stepping into this new role, this huge role, this beautiful church that's so expansive, and God is doing so much through this amazing church. But there are just so many things that are vying for our attention. Sometimes it's hard to know what do we say yes to? What do we say no to? There's so many beautiful, good, significant things that are going on. And sometimes our life, our life is just picking up speed. 
And it's not just that. It's also the fact that we have three kids that are in three different stages of life. We have one in elementary school, we have one in middle school, and we have one in high school. And we also have kids in three different sports. I mean, I know that some of you completely relate to what we're going through. Andy and I are basically like a pinball machine in the afternoon, just like here, 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 across town, taking our kids to all these places. And so life is full and it's full of good things. But what can happen to me is that I can start to run my life like a machine instead of a human being. And life can just pick up the pace more and more And one day just crashes right into the other. Who knew that Joshua chapter 4 was about you having to take your kids to different sports and you're very busy in your life? Is there a principle? Do, Do you feel like I'm being unfair? Do you feel like, no, there's real principles here in Joshua 4 for people whose lives are way too busy. This text tells you what to do when your life is way too busy. It's picking up speed and you need to slow down. Don't be like them and run across the Jordan. Is that that an applicable principle from the text? I, I, I await your Answer. Okay, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to slow down and wait for your answers. No, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. Now, if I was in front of my church, I would be like, okay, I want answers. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to move until someone gives me an answer. But I won't do it here live on the air. But, um, man, okay. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm hoping that this is all going to come together in something that makes sense. All right, all right. Someone just said a not applicable. Okay, I, I'm having a hard time. Because, I mean, like, so first the text was supposed to be about courage. These people are courageous, right? Now it's like, these people are running. And if they would slow down, they could get the courage they need. So are they courageous or are they not courageous? That's what I need. I need to know. Are they, is this an example of courage or an example of a lack of courage? If it's an example of a lack of courage, then you're telling me only thing. So when they get into the promised land, the problem, their, their, their sin problem was a lack of courage. And they would have gotten a lack of courage if they would have just slowed down when they crossed the Jordan. This would have fixed all of their problems. If they would have just sat down and said, hey, guys, slow down, slow down, slow down, everyone, everyone. I know there's two million of us to cross this thing. Just everyone sit down. Right here, we're going to have lunch, we're going to have supper, we're going to have breakfast, we're going to spend, we're going to camp out in the parted waters for three days, then we'll have the courage we need to face, well, all the bad things we have coming against us. Now you say you're being ridiculous. I'm not trying to be ridiculous. I'm trying to apply this in a way that makes some kind of sense. But at first it felt like that these are courageous people because they had to step into moving water at flood stage. Now it's like they ran across and they missed the miracle. But wait a minute, they took 12 stones to remember the miracle. So did they miss it? Did they remember it? Did they have courage? Did they have a lack of courage? What is the message here? All right, all right, we're at 34 minutes. We got to finish this. There's no way I can do a part three on this or I'm going to have to be committed. All right, so let, let, let's, let's finish this. And so I, I feel like there are, there are three things from this passage that I, three principles that I feel like really can help us. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. There's no way there's 47 minutes left of this sermon, but we get three principles. All right. I'm getting a notebook. I've got a notebook. 
I got a pencil. Let's see, here we go. Three principles. I am literally going to write these down. You think I'm joking, but I'm not. Because I would do this if I was listening to the sermon on my own. Remember, I try to make this like we're listening to the sermon together, all right? So, like, like if, I, if I'm going to listen to something, I like to just turn on the microphone and do it here, all right? Sometimes I regret that I do that, but here we go. Are you ready? All right, I got my notebook ready. All right, three principles. All right, three principles from this text. Now, I almost want to stop. Oh, man. You know what I want to do? You know what I want to do? I want to say, okay, guys, today, Joshua 4, you come give me three principles from the text that are consistent with the text. Three principles found in the text. There are, uh, how many verses in Joshua 4? 24. Three principles from those 24 verses. What three principles would you write down? Oh, I would love, I would love, oh, if I was in church, I would make everyone come up with three principles. Then I would look at everyone's three principles. Then I would give the three principles that are found in this sermon and see if, if, the, if it matches everyone or see if everyone's principles are actually consistent with the text. Because then you would give me your principle and I'm like, okay, everyone, so-and-so just gave us principle number one. Let's go through the text and see if that's true or false. I know that puts people on the spot, but it would be fun to do. It would be fun to do. But Okay, but all right, here we go. Three principles. Three principles. Oh, boy. Okay, I'm ready. I hope they're good. I hope they're good. If, no matter whatever criticism I've given the sermon, I truly hope right now that we get three solid biblical principles from Joshua chapter 4. I'm very excited to hear what these are. Here we go. To slow our lives down a little bit, not for the purpose of just slowing down, but for the purpose of noticing God's faithfulness in our lives. So three principles and then three spiritual practices that just kind of go hand in hand with those principles. And the first one is... We're going to get three principles and three spiritual practices. We're getting, we're getting all kinds of good stuff, all right? So we're going to have to write down six things, but three principles, three practices, all right? And it sounds like that this is turning really into a sermon about slowing down and not courage, even though it's in a series about courage. Okay, all right. Look, I've done it before. I have this idea that I'm going to preach on this, and when the sermon is over, it actually turned into something else. So I'm not going to be super critical. You've heard plenty of sermons where the thesis statement at the beginning of the sermon is, by the time you get to the end of the sermon, you're like, I don't think that was the thesis. We've all made that mistake. So I'm not going to be critical here, but I am going to be very, very interested to know what are these three principles? Do they come from the text? Here we go. Is practice the pause. Like what, what would it be like if we... All right, did you get principle number one? Practice the pause. I'm going to back this up. Here we go. Faithfulness in our lives. So three principles and then three spiritual practices that just kind of go hand in hand with those principles. And the first one is... Practice the pause. Practice the pause. Let's write this down. Practice the pause. I don't know how this comes from the text, but okay. Practice the pause. I've got to find me a blank page in my notebook here. All right. Practice the pause. All right. Now, practice the pause. Look at Joshua 4. What, what verse would you use to demonstrate practice the pause. I'm assuming what she's going to use is she's going to use the fact that they ran across 
as an example of why we should practice the pause. They ran across, and I, I guess this is where this is going to go. This is the only way I can formulate it in my brain. They don't practice the pause. They run across, and when they get over into the promised land, all of their problems, all of their failures, and all of their sins is because they didn't pause long enough to develop the courage, which would have kept them from sinning. I'm assuming that's the only way you can go with this, right? I mean, where where else are you going to go into the text to say, practice the pause? I don't know. Didn't they pause long enough to grab the 12 stone? I don't know. But all right, let's see where she's going to take this principle. Like what, what would it be like if we could each day take a minute to slow down? Because I know for us, A lot of times what it's like is we get home late in the evening and we drop all of our bags and we're exhausted and we get through our evening routine and we fall into bed and then we wake up the next morning and we pick up the same bags and we head out the door really early the next morning. And and one day just crashes into the next day. But what what if we could just pause at some point throughout the day and and let our heart hear from God to to let our soul catch up to our bodies? One thing that the way that this looks for me is what I call the spiritual practice of daily time alone with Jesus. It's some people. Okay. So the, the, the principle is uh, practice the pause and then the, the uh, practice. So the principle is practice the pause and the practice is daily time alone with Jesus. The, the way I always, I don't like, I try not to, I always find it interesting the way do you hear, is it always interesting the way like it's especially mega churches how they say Jesus Jesus it's it's just interesting the way that I don't is it me or is it is it an accent thing is it an accent thing but Jesus Jesus it's so it just seems so I don't know it seems, it sounds different to me I don't maybe maybe in Texas we just like Jesus I don't know I don't I don't know it just sounds interesting the way they do so but okay all right that that's just a random thought in my head. All right, so practice the pause. And the way we practice the pause is by the spiritual practice of daily time alone with Jesus. All right, so got to make sure we, we need courage because without courage, our Christian life is going to be a train wreck and we're not going to be spiritually pure and we're going to have sexual thoughts and we're, we're just, we're going to end up having sex with everyone, I guess, all right? And the only way to stop doing that is to have courage, okay, got, I got it, all right? Now, the only way we get courage, but God gives us the courage, but obviously he doesn't really give us the courage because we've got to do something. So what we have to do is we have to practice the pause. Practice the pause means we stop and we spend time with Jesus. So I'm, I'm assuming this is going to be like, what you need to do is it's, it's the, you got to read your Bible more. You got to read your Bible more. You need a devotional time. And then you'll get the courage, so then you won't commit all the sins. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly how this all fits together. I'm assuming this is where it's going. Let's let her describe the practice of daily time alone with Jesus. Call it a quiet time. And how I do it, it'll look different for everybody. But for me, the way it looks is I wake up first thing in the morning, but while my heart is most quiet and the house is most quiet, and, and I just get something hot to drink, And I sit on my couch most days with my journal and my Bible and I pray and I read some some chapters or verses out of the Bible. I maybe write down in my journal what I feel like it is that God might be wanting to say to me that day. And it's just a moment for him to. 
please note, this is the modern day evangelical approach to the text. You read the text and what is God saying to me? Not what does the text say? What did it mean to the people it was originally written to? How are we to understand? No, no, no. It's not about what it says. It's about what it means to me. What is God saying to me? What? And that kind of thinking leads to this kind of preaching, uh, Joshua chapter 4. And the modern church is filled with this. What is it? What did God say to you? Uh, You'll hear sometimes well-meaning Christians say, well, so what has God been saying to you? What has God been saying to me? Uh, What are you asking me? What text did I, I study? What did the text say? May I, may, I mean, like, what do you mean what God said to me? What, what are you talking about? Like, either one, you believe God is speaking to me outside of the Bible, or you mean, what is God saying to me? But God, God is, the scriptures say what they say. Maybe there's something applicable, but it's not necessarily to me or even for me. There's passages that have nothing to do with me. I may be able to learn something from it. So I know that they, they it's just sometimes Christians adopt a language that you're like, so what are you trying to say? It, it creates the idea that, well, Joshua 4 is about me. No, Joshua 4 is about what happened to Israel. Or maybe there's a principle here. So far, the only principle that I've been given is practice the pause, but I wasn't even given which verse the, the, the practice the pause comes from. And then the principle is you need to have a daily quiet time and you need to listen to what, and you have your journal and you write down what God supposedly is saying to you, for you about you, because you know it's about you, all right? I mean, because that's, all right, let's continue. Put courage inside of me for him to say over me what is true, for him to point out some warning areas in my life. It gives him the opportunity to speak into my heart in that moment. And so it's like, you know, when Karis was out on the rocks and she was like, ah, this is, this is scarier than I thought it was. And she came back to the beach. I just imagine Jesus inviting us back to the beach and saying, hey, come away with me for a minute. Let me. So Jesus, God, was trying to get the people of Israel. Hey, guys, 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 don't cross the river. Come over here on the beach and spend some time with me. Is that is that is that the implication here? But wasn't God the one commanding them? Like, how does Joshua 4 fit this narrative? So, so, all right, yeah, we're going to run across the, we're going to run across the Jordan. No, 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 guys, 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 guys. I need you to come over here and sit down on the beach and spend some time with me. Is that the message of Joshua 4? Put some courage inside your heart. Let me speak some truth over you. Let me tell you what I say about you instead of what the world says about you. It's a moment to gather your courage with your loving heavenly father. He invites you in. You know, God didn't want his people, the Israelites, to just zoom past this moment and miss the significance of it. He didn't want them to? Why didn't he command them not to? Right? Because isn't God commanding everything that takes place here? Look at uh, Joshua 4.3. And command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan. God is giving them the commands. Then uh, Joshua 4, 5, uh, Joshua said unto them, pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. He's giving them the commands. And then verse 
8, And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes. They're doing exactly what God commanded them to do. Then uh, Joshua 4.10, For the priests which bear, which bear the ark stood in the midst of the Dan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. Everything is going directly according to God's commands. And now you're saying that God, they, that God wanted something that didn't happen in this text? <laughs> what is going on? Okay, I got to back that up. Did I mishear that? The world says about you. It's a moment to gather your courage with your loving heavenly father. He invites you in. You know, God didn't want his people, the Israelites, to just zoom past this moment and miss the significance of it. He wanted them to take note of the fact that we are entering a new era. If he wanted all that, why didn't he say it? He's been, he's given them all the commands. And what was the point of the 12 stones? Wasn't it so that they would remember it? She's condemning these people for doing opposite of what God wanted. She's literally saying these people were committing sin. You say, no, she didn't say that. Well, if, if God wanted them to do something and they weren't doing it, to do the opposite of what God wants, I think that's called sin, right? That the, the grandparents and the parents of this generation, they were the ones who had seen the Red Sea part. They were the ones that walked across dry ground. Didn't that generation die off? Am I missing something? Hang on. I got to back that up. Maybe she's saying that those people were all dead. And so this generation didn't understand. Okay. All right. Grandparents and the parents of this generation, they were the ones who had seen the Red Sea part. They were the ones that walked across dry ground. But now there's a new generation standing here at the edge of the Jordan. And they didn't need to have their parents' faith anymore. They needed a faith of their own. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was getting nervous there. All right, so this new generation, they need a faith of their own. They need a faith of their own, and clearly they're not doing it the right way because they're going against what God wanted. They're supposed to slow down instead of hurrying. Clearly they're disobeying God. So this is a failure. If this, if this entire scenario was to build their faith, it's turning into a complete failure. They're not obeying God. They're not slowing down. So how does this work in building their faith when they fail at all of it? So do they, is this considered a failure? They needed their own stories of God's faithfulness because they needed to know that when they got into the promised land and they were facing that opposition, that he was going to be faithful to them just like he had been faithful to, his, to their parents. It had to become their own. And so God was saying, don't miss this moment. Slow down. I'm trying to invest courage into your heart right now, but you can miss it if you don't slow down. And clearly they didn't slow down. So they missed it. So God was commanding everything. For some weird reason, he doesn't command them to slow down, but he wanted them to slow down. They didn't do it. So they failed God. 
Therefore, they lacked the courage to do what they needed to do in the promised land. So the whole reason their failures happened in the promised land is because when they crossed the Jordan, they didn't slow down and have a devotional time with Jesus. Is that really what we've just heard? So he gives them a very tangible way to remember what he does. Look in chapter four, verse one, where it says, when the whole nation. Okay, now wait a minute. So he wanted one thing. They didn't do it. So he had a backup plan. And the backup plan was the stones. So then that gave them the courage to do everything right in the promised land, right? Because once you get courage, then everything is good. I'm trying to follow this. Had finished crossing the Jordan. The Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua calls all the elders over, and he's like, hey, I know we all just hurried by the Jordan, but we're actually going to go back. We're, we're going to slow it down for a minute because we need to memorial. Okay. Um, all right. I'm trying to make sure I'm following this. Okay. Um, all right. Okay, I'm trying to make sure I'm, I'm okay. I think I see where okay, I okay, I see where she's going. Okay, I think I understand this. All right. Just in her sermon, she didn't really take this through. Um Okay. I'm trying to follow the her was she I, she's I thought I think she's kind of jumped around. All right, I may, maybe I misunderstood her, but okay. All right. So, everyone's crossed. Now they're going to go back and get the stones. So the people should have slowed down. They didn't. Because they didn't slow down, now God is going to have them go back and get the stones because the people didn't slow down. That seems, okay, so she's almost saying that the 12 stones is kind of like a backup plan. That, that, that I guess, that's where how she's describing it. Lies this moment so that we never forget what God did here today. It would have been easy for them to speed right past it. Because the Israelites, they had a lot of stuff going on. They knew that just within a matter of days, they were going to be at war. Literally, they, they crossed the Jordan armed for battle. And so they knew that was coming for them. They had to go set up camp for over 2 million people. And they had a lot of two-year-olds that they had to get to sleep on time. And they had to reply to all their emails. And they all had to post a selfie of themselves in the middle of the Jordan River. Like there were things to get done. And it Okay, I'm trying to follow how she's told the story. If the people pass over in 317, and the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of, of the Lord stood firm on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on the dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. If everyone crosses over in 317, then in chapter 4, these men are to go back and get the 12 stones, when it says in chapter 4, verse 10, for the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. And then the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded. And the people made haste and passed over. Is that referring to all the people in 317? Or is that referring to the men who went back to get the rocks? 
You, you see what, like, she's like, every, everyone crossed over, but they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to slow down. So then God's like, okay, 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 wait, go back and get these rocks so that the people will remember. But for seven, for 10, is that about all the people or is that just about the men who went to get the rocks? They're the ones who ran across. So it wasn't about all the, all the people. It wasn't that the people ran across. Is that the people who had the rocks ran across. You see, this kind of preaching never bothers to slow down. You talk about slow down and actually look at the text to see some, some I mean, these are some reasonable questions we would have within the text, right? And she hasn't bothered to try to put this in any kind of chronological order or to explain the language here. All right. Okay, so now, okay, uh, okay, now chapter three, verse, now I see where she possibly got that it was at flood, flood stage, uh, uh, not Proverbs, Joshua chapter three, verse 15. And as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water for Jordan overfloweth all its banks all the time of harvest. There it goes. There's, there it was at so, so-called flood stage. All right, so that, she didn't even bother to give us the scripture for that. Okay, but we just demonstrated that. Okay, so we found that. So that's true. She was accurate there. But then she's given us this weird, like, the people ran. And so she described that as all the people, and they were guilty because God was really wanting them to slow down, even though there's no command for them to slow down. So as a result of them all, they missed it. God's like, okay, we've got to give them something so they don't miss it. So I need some guys to go back and get the rocks. That seems to be the way she's trying to put this together would have been easy for them just to speed right past it because there was so much pressing in on them. And, and you know what? I feel this so much in my own life. Like all these responsibilities, all these things that are vying for my attention, all these things that I need to, to give my time to, just pressing in on me. But the, the principle here is that sometimes we have to push back what is pressing. Push back what's pressing and don't let it overwhelm you. Don't let it, don't succumb to that pressure because there, there is no shortage of things that will vie for your attention. But we need to pause and to, to say, you know what? I'm not going to succumb to that. There, there's a part of me. That- okay. So was the, was the first principle practice the pause and then we need to have daily devotions with Christ. And then that was, is the second principle push back the pressure is that the second principle, push back the pressure? All right? So push, is it practice the pause and push back the pressure? Okay, I, I'm assuming. I, she didn't say number two, but I'm assuming. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to follow what she's done with Joshua 3 and 4 and, and the order there of exactly how we understood what happened. But okay, all right, let, let's, let's continue. That, that wonders, like... Wow, is, is this life that I'm living actually the life God intended? Like, is this a good life? Is this, is this the abundant life? Because sometimes I don't feel like it is. But then there's this other part of me that, that tells myself, you know what, you can't slow down. You gotta keep up this pace with everyone around you because if you slow down, this world is gonna pass you right by. And so just, it's not optional. You just got to keep running on this hamster wheel or you will get spun right out. And so there's this tension in our souls where, where we feel like we can't, we don't have the option of slowing down. But you know, the, the risk of living that way 
is that we literally do damage to our souls, that, that it deafens us from being able to hear the voice of God in our lives. That if we hurry, we literally damage our souls so we can't hear God. Okay, that's got to be there somewhere in Scripture. If you hurry, you will damage your soul and you'll no longer be able to hear God. It will permanently damage you. Slow down or you will permanently damage your soul and you'll no longer hear from God. All from Joshua 4, I guess. He will keep speaking, but we can't hear him because we never quiet our hearts long enough to actually listen. And so we get years down the road and and maybe it doesn't even feel like that great of a risk for you. Like, I don't really hear God on a day-to-day basis. Maybe, Maybe that doesn't feel like a big risk to you, but you put day after day and week after week and you get years down the road and you realize I am a spiritually bankrupt person. Like my soul is empty. And then it leads you to do something crazy that train wrecks your life. Or you end up in such a deep depression that you're like, I I, I am just so empty. There's nothing here for me because I didn't take moments to slow down and invest in my relationship with God. Okay, so I'm I'm trying to follow this. So, all right, we still, she hasn't even bothered to explain exactly how the order she's putting Joshua 4 in and who crossed over when. She didn't even bother to try to put that together. All right, I'll just leave that for everyone to work on themselves. It will be interesting to see what people come up with. All right, but according to her, so this is the way it works. We've been told now, if I don't have courage, boom, my my Christian life is a train wreck. It's it's a mess. I'm going to sin. Courage is the key to stop sinning, basically. But I have to slow down. If I don't slow down, I damage my soul. Boom, I won't hear from God anymore. And not only that, I will be, end up spiritually bankrupt and I will end up basically making a train wreck of my life. So I, so it, a absence of courage and an absence of slowing down. It seems the way she's putting this together, I have to slow down. And if I don't slow down, I don't get the courage. And if I don't get the courage, my life is a train wreck. So I have to slow down in order to get the courage. I'm I'm trying to follow it. Allow him to speak into my heart. There's a lot at stake here. And so one of the the things that practically I have put into place in my own life to help back push push back what's pressing in on me is the discipline of Sabbath. The discipline of Sabbath. And there are so many things that I... Okay, so what we have is two principles and two practices so far. Principle number one, practice the pause. The, the practice is daily devotion with God. The second principle is push back the pressure and the, and the uh, practice is the Sabbath. The Sabbath, right? Uh, okay. All right. Yeah, not too, yeah, not yet, yeah, not too slow that the world overtakes you. Yeah, yeah, be slow, but don't be, I guess, so slow. Okay, right, all right. I, man, I'm trying to follow all this. All right, so we got to figure out. So now how do I practice the, the Sabbath, all right? I, I'm assuming, I don't know, are we going all the way back to, I, I don't know what we're getting ready to do here. Let's just see. I could say about the practice of Sabbath, but just really briefly, Sabbath is like 24 hours a week that God has given to us as a gift. And he is inviting us in to, to stop and to rest and to delight and worship. And it's like my reminder that there's a... 
Now, this is just bizarre. How do you get the Sabbath from Joshua 4? All of this hinges on they made haste, but she hasn't identified who made haste because chapter 3 seems to identify that the people went over and it doesn't sound like that they, they, they made haste. Then chapter 4 seems that some people went back to get the rocks and they made haste. Who, or did all the people make haste? Like, how do we under, she's not even dealing with the textual, like, wait, wait, they crossed over. Wait, then it sounds like they crossed over. Did they cross over? Tw- like, what, what happened here? She's not even, she didn't even try to fix that. Now she's giving us that, hey, if you don't hear from God, basically you're spiritually bankrupt, but she doesn't explain exactly what that means to hear from God. Is that just means I have my devotion and I hear what God is saying to me? It's God speaking to me outside of scripture. I don't know. If I don't have courage, I'm done. If I don't slow down, I'm done. I'm done pretty much all the way around. But now I've got to, now what I have to do is I got to spend daily time with God. And then on the Sunday, I guess on Sunday, we've got to spend those 24 hours slowing down. 24 hours slowing down. All right, let's see how this works. God in heaven that's holding the universe together. That's not my job. And sometimes I feel like it is. Sometimes I feel like if I slow down, if I stop, then everything's just going to fall apart. And Sabbath is like, no, you are not God. There is a God that is going to hold it together and he's given you permission to stop. Sabbath is not a glorified day off. Sabbath is not the day you're going to want to run errands and and catch up on your laundry and go get your hair cut. There are other days of the week to do those kinds of things. Sabbath is a day to delight, to remember. You know, when Sabbath was first given, it was given as a way for these these Israelites that had just left slavery to say, I will, I'm not a slave anymore. I don't have to be a slave to my job. I don't have to be a slave to a taskmaster. I'm not a slave. And I will stop one day a week and I will remember the faithfulness of God. He has been good to me. And when we slow down, it's not just slowing down for the sake of slowing down. It's slowing down so that we can remember his faithfulness to us, so that we can see his goodness, that we can connect with the heart of God. So if God already gave them the Sabbath prior to coming to the banks of the Jordan, then why did they need to slow down crossing the river unless it was the Sabbath? And I'm assuming they didn't cross on the Sabbath. So once the next Sabbath appeared or showed up, wouldn't they have then slowed down then? Like you're saying that they, they sinned by running across the river, even though you didn't identify exactly who was running across the river. But now you're saying he gave them the Sabbath to slow down. Well, if he gave them the Sabbath, they could run across the river and then slow down on the Sabbath, right? So are you getting ready to give me a list of things I can and can't do on the Sabbath in order to slow down so that I don't end up spiritually bankrupt and make a train wreck of my life? This act of slowing down takes courage because nobody else around us is doing it. It feels like life just keeps spinning faster and faster. But I I just kind of wonder, could this be the act of courage that God is asking of you? That, That he wants to point out to you Again, the use of courage, it takes courage to, to slow down on the Sabbath. It takes courage. I, I never would use the word courage. Hey, guys, look, this, it's Sunday, and I need you to slow down today, and it's going to take courage. I, I, 
it's just a weird use of the concept. All right, but okay, we, we've got to finish this. I know we're already over an hour, and I know people get mad that sometimes these go long, but I, I can't do a part three of this. We've got to finish this. You, in a very loving and invitational way, that your soul is thirsty, and he wants to invite you in so that he can fill up your soul with good things, with things that satisfy. He wants to invite you into slowing down. So these elders, they take up these 12 stones of remembrance. And I wanna read to you this next section. It says, each of you should take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. I think it's significant that God did not just ask Joshua to go back and get a stone, but he asked all 12 elders. I was thinking about that as I was preparing, and I never really noticed the significance of that before, but, but I think it was significant that, that it wasn't just a miracle for everyone. It was a miracle for this tribe and for this tribe and for this family. It was personal. And that's the third principle is that we have to personalize God's promises to us because things feel different when they're personal, don't they? Like, for example, I really do not care that much about watching an NFL football game. Like, I'm just not that into it. For all of our international campuses, NFL, National Football League, it's like the kind of football that you throw with your hand for some reason. You throw football, hand, handball. No, it's not this kind of football. So I don't, I'm not really that into it. But I have two sons that play football. And so there will be two times every single week that I will sit through football games from start to finish. And I, if my son does something great, if my son gets a tackle, oh, I will be that mom making a fool of herself in the stands. Why? Because it's personal to me, right? And things feel different when they are personal to us. You know, we sing that song, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. And when I, I sing that song, I am trying to personalize God's faithfulness to me. Like he showed up this way and he made a way here. I could build my own. Okay, so we're gi- they're, they're given the Sabbath. She doesn't really explain how that works. She doesn't really explain how any of this works. And now we have to personalize the promises. I am really worried about this one. Someone said, I hope this is not sound doctrine because I'm finding it hard to endure. I'm finding it hard to follow, much less to endure. I'm just trying to... Fo- I'm still trying to figure out the Joshua 4 thing there that we kind of stumbled into. I'm like, wait a minute, who ran across? And that one commentary gave us a little bit of clue that some believe that the people ran across are just the people who went back to get the rocks, which then would destroy her whole message because they're clearly doing what God commanded them to do. So, and in fact, the whole thing seems like everyone's doing what God commanded them to do, but somehow she's blamed all of Israel for sinning because they didn't slow down. And now their whole lives are going to be a spiritual wreck because they needed to go hang out on the beach and have quiet time with Jesus. I I don't even understand what's going on. Now we're going to personalize the promises. Okay. So they, they didn't slow down. That's why they need the rocks. But instead of, so, but before they needed the rocks, they needed the Sabbath, which was already given before they get to the beach. I, I'm, I'm still trying to follow this, but now we need the rocks. So that means personalize the promises. All right. What is she going to tell us to do with the promises of scripture? I have a bad feeling here. Memorial of stones of remembrance because he has been good to me. Like for example, like this stone right here, 
It could represent that time that we were finishing up graduate school, seminary, and we were $20,000 in debt with student loans. And my brother-in-law, he made a, he made a challenge. Let me stop right here. Number one, I don't have time, but the fact that people have to get $20,000 in debt to get a seminary education is an absolute abomination, and it's everything wrong with American Christianity. People should be trained for ministry in their local church, and nobody should have to be $20,000 in debt. If you are $20,000 in debt for a seminary education that produces this kind of preaching, I'm sorry, what, what, what was $20,000 $20, of debt for, for this? You're not even dealing with it. What did you learn in seminary? The whole seminary industrial complex is a sham. It's a joke. It's a ripoff. The local church is responsible for training men for ministry. You should train there, learn to do ministry there, do ministry there, and then be sent out by that church and supported so then you don't, you have the financial backing to then be, get your foot, your, your started into ministry without your family suffering. But $20,000 to learn how to preach like this. <laughs> I, I, I guess you can come up with, with cool little things. Practice the pause, push back the pressure, and personalize the promises. All right, let's continue. Challenge to us to say, I, I want you to have faith that God could help you pay off that student loan in one year. And we were, we were only making $50,000 at the time. So, I mean, do the math on that. But you know what? God did it. And he showed me that he is our provider. And he was faithful then. Maybe this stone represents the way that he healed my mind. Why is it that every time someone pre preaches Joshua 4, they have to bring rocks to the pulpit? What, what, what's the deal with that? They, they, everyone's always got to pull out some rocks. I always got to pull out some. So you save some rocks, save some rocks. Right? I, I've seen this preached like I don't even know how many times. It's like the go-to. Oh, I never use object lessons, but I'm preaching Joshua 4. Someone go out in the parking lot and find me some rocks, okay? All right, well, in Texas, our, our parking lot's not paved, so that we can just find rocks in our parking lot at our church. Okay, yeah, middle of nowhere, West Texas, okay? But you get the idea, all right? So so here we go. I, Oh boy, I'm trying, I'm trying to follow this. All right, so, so now th these are the rocks. Okay, here we go. And for years, I had been cycling in and out of depression. And I can't explain what happened. It's not prescriptive for anyone else in the room, but he healed me. He, he healed my mind. Everybody's journey looks different. I can't, I don't have a reason for why. I just know that it happened. And he was, he was faithful then. And this stone right here, it represents the time that Andy and I pulled out of our driveway away from my family of origin. And it gutted me. Because I had always dreamed of my kids growing up with their cousins. Okay, so Joshua 4 is turning into her rocks. And her memorial stones. I do appreciate that at least she says she's not prescribing anything to anyone else. It is interesting. God supposedly healed her depression. 
that, that just raises lots of questions about the whole, what, what does she believe about healing concepts here? But okay, all right. But God had called us to move all the way from South Carolina to California. And I knew that dream would never come true. And it broke my heart. But you know what God did? God gave my kids cousins in California. He, for the last 14 years, has given us friends that are like family to us. And every holiday, we have people that we celebrate with. And every big event for in one of my kids' lives, our, our family is there with us. And these rocks, they remind me that if he did it then, he can do it again. And his past faithfulness gives me the courage that I need to step in. All right, we talked about this. We talked about this uh, last night. All right, I, I can flip this. All right, so you got these rocks because this is the way it's supposed to work. I looked at God's past faithfulness to give me confidence for the future. All right, so let me go get some rocks. Well, here's the rock that represents when my mom died when I was a teenager. Wait, here's a rock that represents all the abuse I went through as a child, you know, being beat and all those wonderful things. Oh, here's the rock that represents my dad dying of cancer. Oh, here's the rock of my absolute, totally destroyed family as a result of all the chaos that occurred. Okay, here's the rock. Here's the rock of not being cured of this, of my seizure disorder. Here's the rock of my daughter not being cured of her connective tissue disease. I mean, we can flip it around, right? I know you're not supposed to say that in church. How about the person, oh, wait, that God didn't didn't heal of their depression? Uh, how about how about the rock of of the kid whose mom called him into the room and stuck a gun to her head and said, "I'm going to kill myself and it's your fault." Yeah, I, mean, I, I could go. I can. I got all kinds of wonderful stories. To this next season of my life, because he has been good to me, his faithfulness is true. You know, I wonder what kind of faith stories you have. I wish we could capture them all. I wish that you could share them with me because I know that they're significant. One thing that I do in my personal life, the spiritual practice that goes along with this, is that I keep a gratitude journal and every day I just write down like three things, three ways that I saw the faithfulness of God yesterday. His goodness, it could be something small. It could be, it could be a conversation. It could be the fact that, I, that there was a bird singing right outside my window while I was having my quiet time that morning and it just... And I got nothing pro- wrong, problem with a gratitude journal. I got nothing wrong with that. But here's the theological and philosophical principle that, arise, uh, that arises from this. If every small thing, a bird singing out your window, a bird singing out your window is God doing that for you. God is intimately involved in that bird singing outside your window then every bad thing that happens is also because God is intimately involved. And Christianity loves the idea of God having a little bird singing outside your window, but Christianity doesn't like the idea that that same window someone crawls into in the middle of the night and either hurts your daughter, kidnaps your daughter, or someone in your family is sexually molested. They don't like that part of the story. If God is intimately involved in all the good, then God is not intimately involved in all the bad. 
These, this is a issue that Christians just can't ignore. We always preach like the bad doesn't exist. Christianity is sometimes preached in like this vacuum that it's only for people whose everything in their life is wonderful and great and perfect, but that's not the way life works. So how do you fit into your theology that the bird outside your window, oh, that's God, I'm going to write down in my gratitude journal. What happens when, I don't know, the window is knocked in because of a flood or a hurricane and everything in your house is destroyed? Are you going to write that in your gratitude journal? I have gratitude today that God destroyed my home by a hurricane or by a fire or by a flood or by a tornado. Now, Job's, it seems to indicate God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Just somehow that doesn't show up in our preaching. Blessed my, my heart. It could be anything, but I just jot down three little bullet points of God's faithfulness to me. You know why? Because I want to walk through the river picking up courage along the way. I want to notice the goodness of God in my life. I want to capture it. We all have those faith stories. And may, maybe you're new to church. And maybe you're like, you know what? I don't really know if I have any faith stories. I, I don't really think I have any miracles in my life. Anytime I come across a Jordan River, I am looking for a bridge. And I, I appreciate that. As I, I was preparing this talk and I was thinking about how you might receive it, I just thought to myself, Maybe it's a miracle that you're here right now. Maybe you are a miracle in the making. And maybe, maybe God's goodness and his faithfulness has been following you around all your life. And you couldn't see it then. But you're starting to see it now. Because he loves you so much. And his goodness and his faithfulness, it's all around us. But we have to slow down long enough to see it and to receive it, and to memorialize it. The chapter ends by saying, the Lord your God did to the Jordan what had been done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples on earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I want you to go back in those verses and circle the two places that it says, so that. So that there was a reason why God performed this miracle. There was a purpose behind it. And, and the first reason was so that all the peoples on earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Listen, God's faithfulness is personal, but it should not be private. That miracle was for you, but it was also for your small group. It was also for your extended family because God's faithfulness in your life, it gives other people a foundation upon which to build their faith. The whole world will know that our God is mighty when they see his mighty acts in our lives. All throughout, all throughout. I got to learn how to preach so people will applaud. I've got to figure that secret out. I've got to figure that out. I'm going to get an applause sign. Okay, I'm, I'm joking, but okay. I'm just, man, some of this just frustrates me so much because 
It's like Christianity can't even acknowledge how some of these principles, like you just, you just create some serious philosophical questions here that nobody wants to deal with. Everybody just wants to put forth this nice, nice positive picture here. There's some serious issues here. And not only that, she's, she's constantly blaming Israel because they didn't slow down. Hey guys, you messed up. And everything in the text says that they did what God commanded them to do. Scripture and throughout human history, God has used, used miracles as an evangelistic tool to show people that he is a mighty God and he is worthy. So now we're back to the charismatic idea, a power evangelism, that miracles is how we evangelize. I just know Israel saw lots of miracles and it never really made much of a difference. They still turned against God over and over and over and over. And I know that miracles will be, according to Revelation, used in the last days, oh, to deceive people. Is miracles the way to evangelism or the preaching of God's word the way to evangelism? Now she just brought up a whole theological issue here. Of our worship. The second thing is so that you might always fear the Lord your God, that there would be a holy reverence inside of your heart for the Almighty, that you wouldn't just take your spiritual life casually, that it wouldn't be some, ho- some side hobby that you engage in whenever it's convenient, but that you would come to a place in your life where you're like, wow, if there is a God in heaven who is mighty enough to do that and loving enough to even care, then I want to center my whole life around knowing him and serving him. He is a good God and he is faithful. He is able to show up in a time of need when you don't feel like there's a way forward. He can make a way through on dry ground. Today we're going to end the service. Oh my goodness. He can make a way on dry ground. Like, like this. Oh just taking the story and just, I don't even know what is being done to this story. We may want to call the police for the, the absolute abuse of a text of scripture is what we may want to do. It's a little differently than we normally do. Typically, we have most of our worship and singing on the front end of the message. And then we just kind of wrap it up after the sermon. But today we're doing it differently. We're going to actually have most of the worship and singing at the back end. Because we thought as we were planning this message that that maybe God wants us to slow down for a minute. Maybe he wants us to pick up some courage along the way. He wants us to slow down based off Joshua 4. Oh my goodness gracious. I do not even understand what $20,000 in debt for a seminary education that makes you obliterate Joshua chapter 4. Like literally obliterate it. Like literally just you're making it say something it did not say. You're accusing the people that they were wrong because they did not slow down. They were in sin. And so therefore all of their problems is because they didn't slow down. Man, I, I, I'm so perplexed here. Okay, I think we're done. I think we're done. I'm just going to make, make sure that she doesn't have any other profound principle to throw at us. And so at all of our campuses, we have these stones of remembrance all around the room. There's a lot up here at the front, and there's some other stations around the room. And they look like this. It's just a simple blank stone. And there's Sharpie markers there as well. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a minute to remember a personal act of faithfulness of God toward you. 
For me, I might write something on here like, he healed my mind or he gave my kids cousins. Something very specific. But it's a way for us to remember that he has been faithful in the past. And if he was faithful then, he can be faithful now. If he did it back then, he can do it again right now. See, people love this stuff. People love, this has nothing to do with Joshua. Joshua chapter four is not about you writing a, a stone. What in the world? We got remembering stones all, and just write down the positive things. Of course, leave out all the negative. Don't write down anything negative. No, no, leave that, leave that out. So let's not miss this moment. Let's not feel the the need to rush on by. Wouldn't it be ironic (laughs) if we felt the need to rush out of here right now? It's like, oh, I got to go get my kids. I got somewhere I got to be. No, slow down. He's inviting you into this moment to think about what. I think you're inviting them into this moment. I don't know if God has anything to do with this. What have I done for you? And maybe, maybe your mind's blank right now. You can't even think of something. Why don't you take a. I don't know. Maybe you could help them. These people can't remember what God has done for them. Yeah, I know. Maybe you could remind them of Christ and him crucified. I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought. Rock home with you. And what if we all made our own little rock gardens, our our own little stones of remembrance in our backyard, and it was just, we built upon it year after year as we saw the faithfulness of God in our lives. They say, I'm not gonna forget this. I'm gonna take my courage with me. Will you stand with me as we close tonight, today? Our faith is built on God's faithfulness. And that's the end, and then they're gonna spend all their time. So remember the oh, her $20,000 of seminary debt or, or combined, so I guess $10,000 seminary debt. I think it was her and her husband, but whatever the case, thousands and thousands of dollars of seminary debt gave us Joshua chapter four, that is accusing the people of Israel of sinning by not slowing down, even though the text doesn't say anything. She gave the impression that people walked into the water, but they didn't, the priest did. She didn't explain exactly, so who crossed in chapter three and who's crossing in chapter four? She, so who was doing the running and who was not doing the running? And then supposedly the three principles is practice the pause, which means the people actually needed to go wait on the beach and have a devotion with Jesus. Push back the purpose means They needed the Sabbath, but they'd already been given the Sabbath before this moment, so I don't really know what this has to do with Joshua chapter 4. And then we have to personalize the promises, meaning I don't know exactly what that meant. Oh, we grab a rock with a Sharpie and we write down, that has nothing to do with promises. I don't know what that, I don't even know what that did. I, I don't even know what that was supposed to do. And I guess we're supposed to gather rocks and Write them down. I don't remember what the, uh, oh, gratitude journal. We need a gratitude journal. And I'm nothing wrong with a gratitude journal. Nothing wrong with that. Just make sure. If, you're, if your theology is that God, every little thing, God is involved. So therefore you give gratitude to God. The smallest thing, right? A bird outside your window, everything. Gratitude. Then the bad has to be seen as being just as much from God because you can't separate God. Like you can't say, well, no, God somehow is in charge of all the good, but all the bad, he's just, it's completely out of his control. It doesn't work that way. So then shouldn't you not teach people to have gratitude for the good and the bad? And then how do you make that work 
theological and philosophical. But we're an hour and 30 minutes there. That's, everyone wants to argue about her being a woman. I would just say, let's not even worry about that. Let's worry about how she handled the text of scripture. That to me is the news story. Everyone was, ooh, they have a, they have a female teaching pastor and that church is part of the SBC. I understand that has to be addressed. I would just say that's the teaching pastor, but the people love it. You heard the applause. That's what people want. That's why people pay $10,000 for a seminary education. Baffling. All right, I'll stop right there. You can contact me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And I know, look, I know the big news story today is the whole Mark Driscoll situation. I know it's got everyone going crazy. I understand. I'm going to find the sermon. We will review the sermon. I have no clue what in the world he was doing. I understand. I know that's the news story today. My intention was to get to that early this morning, but because of last night, I made the mistake of dealing with this news story. But everyone's going to talk about the Mark Driscoll situation. We will review the entire sermon only to be fair about what was said in its fuller context. I just have to find the sermon. I think I have found it. I just got to find a play uh, the podcast somewhere where I can download it. So if you start emailing me about it, I'm aware of the situation. I don't know what's going on. Okay, but we will talk about that, um, hopefully. Well, right now I need food, so I'm going to go try to find food. All right, thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. I don't you know what? Forget if you figure out the whole like Joshua four, like wait, who crossed over when? They crossed over. Who did the running? Who didn't do the running? Like if you can, if you want to figure that out, great. I would love to see your your conclusion. And most importantly, the seven Greek words in Romans eight one and Romans eight four from our today's focus podcast. I'm more interested in what you find with that. But if you do want to work on the Joshua four three thing, I think we she didn't. We just kind of stumbled onto it. I didn't have time to stop and really start trying to take it apart, but. There's some, there's, there's something we have to figure out there because, well, the one good thing, as bad as this sermon was, guess what? It now has got us looking at Joshua 3 and 4 to try to figure out a textual issue. So even in bad preaching, positive things can come from it if you'll take the time to work on it. So let's do a little work on Joshua 3 and 4 and see what you come up with. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.